Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, all right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to One Life Church. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you, I want to introduce myself for a moment. My name is Rhett, and it is the honor and privilege of my life to get to be the lead pastor of what I believe is one of the greatest churches in the Pacific Northwest. Come on, somebody. One Life Church. Yes. And uh, hey, before we get started, we are in a series just like uh, Nick mentioned called Habits. But before we jump into the series, I want to take a moment to do something we do every Sunday. And that is we want to welcome our online church family. All those in the room here at the Civic Center, throw your hands together. Welcome our online church family. Come on, let them know how much you love them. And we mean it. You are our family. And we're just so thankful that you are along for the ride. However you're joining us, we're just so grateful that you are with us today. All right, you guys, before we jump into this series that I'm really excited about today's message, can't wait to jump into it. It's going to be a little bit different uh, message than whatever, I've, than whatever I have preached before in the past. So I'm excited about it. But I want to remind you of a couple things. Come on, everybody say small groups. Small groups. What are small groups? Well, they're groups that are intended to be small to create an opportunity for life change. It's the way we do community here at One Life Church. In fact, it's not just how we do community. It's actually the biblical model of community that's found in the New Testament church. And any other church around the world would call it a house church, okay? In America, we call them small groups, okay? So small groups, what is it? It's an opportunity to get together with other believers and other people who have similar interest and build relationship with each other to draw closer to one another, but more than that, to also draw close to God. And the way we like to say it here is life change happens in life-giving relationships. This is just not a process or a system that we've created to make you more busy. No, this is a system and a process that God has ordained, and there is a divine blessing behind it that is found throughout Scripture that when you align your life in community, good things happen. When you go through a hard time, there's family and people there to help support you. When you're going through good times, there's people there who can come alongside and rejoice. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn, and you need a family. If you're doing life alone, it is time to do something new in 2022, and that is create the habit of community. And so that's kicking off in a couple of weeks, and I want to make you aware of it because many of you have led small groups in the past, and if that's you, I just want to encourage you. Go to our website and register. Register your small groups. Registration is open all month long. And so if you're thinking, I'm just waiting on my sign before I register your small group, here's your sign, right? Go register your small groups. In fact, some of you led a small group last semester and thought, man, maybe I could lead a small group. And the reality is, yes, you can lead a small group. It's rather simple. And we would love to teach you and empower you and equip you through something we call small group leadership training. It happens next Sunday. And it's basically a one hour class. It happens immediately following the first service at 11 a.m. down this long hall. I believe it's in our discover room. If it's not, our team will correct me, but it's, I know it's somewhere here on campus. And so if you're thinking, well, I can't make next Sunday, that's okay. Guess what? We're offering it again on the 30th, the last Sunday of the month. You don't have to go to both. You just need to go to one. And so some people are like, well, I'm not sure I really want to you know, commit to leading a small group, but I'd like to have more information. This is your information class. This is the opportunity for you if you're on your seat 
and all you're thinking is, I want to learn a little bit more about what they are, how you do it, what the expectations are, you can come to this class. We would love for you to walk out of there leading a small group, but honestly, we would love for you to walk out of there just meeting another person and connecting in relationship to people and maybe walk out with just a little bit more empowerment of going, okay, I can do this. It might not be the right season, but when that season comes, you will be ready for it. All right, you guys, we are a message note-taking church. If you've been with us from the beginning, I've always said this. My role is not just to inspire you and to encourage you on Sunday, but my role as a pastor is to put tools in your hands so that you can know how to live this thing out Monday through Saturday. And so if you would like to receive the message notes, you can text OLC Notes. That's OLC Notes to 94000 on your smartphone. The notes will be right there on your phone. You click a link and it really just opens it up. You can fill in the blank. You can follow along. You can send an email to a friend. You can save it as a PDF. It's a lot of fun. And so some of you may not be note takers in this room, and I get it. That was me at one time too. Could I encourage you maybe to try something that you've never tried before? Maybe maybe you might receive something from God that you've never received before. And so all the note takers who are enjoying the notes, going to hear a good amen from you in the house if you enjoy the notes. And so don't forget, we are a note taker, so get ready to follow along. All right, habits, habits, small disciplines that can equal big results. I first want to give props to Pastor Craig Rochelle. He is a friend in ministry uh, out of Oklahoma City, uh, life.church. They're an incredible church there. I want to let you know the message that I'm bringing to you today is really almost verbatim Pastor Craig's message. Uh, it is so powerful. It has been transforming my life. And I thought, and I asked them and they said, yes, please take it. If you got eyes, you know, plagiarize, they say, right? So today, I'm bringing you a message uh, that is God-inspired from a godly man named Craig Rochelle, if you've ever heard of him. He pastors like the largest church in America, okay? So this is not all new content that I've created. Some of my own stories will be interjected, but a lot of this is his content. And so I just want to start by simply asking this question. I want you to think about something. When it came to your last normal day, okay, what did you do? Think about it. Your last normal day. Now, don't think, you know, pre-2020, okay? No, no, like your last normal day, like last week. Like if you went to work on that day, what did you normally do on that day? Now, for some of you, maybe a stay-at-home parent or a stay-at-home mom, you're thinking, I don't work. Can I just correct you for a second? That is your job. And you deserve a raise, by the way, okay? So <laughs> uh, I've tried to do that once or two or three times before on my own when Linda's at work. And I'm just going to tell you, I have huge kudos and love for people who are stay-at-home parents. It's massive. That is a job, okay? But think about it. What did you do on your last normal day? Now, chances are, here's what I know. Odds are what you did on your last normal day, you did the day before that. You just did. It's very similar. Maybe, maybe when you woke up, you hit the alarm and you hit snooze like five or ten times. Maybe that was you right? Uh, maybe some of you, when you first kind of woke up after you hit the alarm five times, you pulled out your smartphone, dumb phone, and went straight to social media. Or maybe you checked your email or you checked your text. Uh, maybe immediately after that, uh, you went to the restroom, okay? Very practical message today, right? Hopefully somewhere along the lines there, you may have got coffee. Hopefully you took a shower. I pray to God you took a shower. You will not have a job if you don't take a shower, okay? Uh, somewhere along the line, you probably drove to work, did whatever you do at work, you drove home from work, and here's the scary thing, you probably don't even know how you got back home from work. Have you ever been there? Like, how did I end up in my driveway? <laughs> I have no idea, right? It's crazy. 
Uh, some of you, once you got home from work, you know, those athletic types, maybe you went to work out, or maybe you're more like me. Maybe you went and grabbed some fast food, right? Or if you were blessed enough, maybe you decided to cook a meal at home, and then you griped at everyone because they didn't help you cook the meal. And in fact, they not only did they help, not help you, but they didn't even help you do the dishes afterwards. And I'm saying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need some help, right? I'm saying, I get it. You're griping at everyone. And then some time goes by, maybe you got two or three kids in your bath time routine. You got two kids who are cooperating. You got the one rambunctious leader in the group that just wants to keep jumping out of the tub. And you know, you kind of throw them back in the tub, back and forth. You don't throw them, you gently just like set them in there. Okay, let's be politically correct, all right? Uh, and by the time they go to bed, you sit down in your cozy chair, comfy chair, and your PJs just in time to pull out your phone again, maybe swipe through some more social media posts, see what's out there. And at the end of the day, if you're a man in the room, you look over at your spouse with hungry eyes. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> and uh, you get that look from your spouse like, it ain't happening tonight. So you get rejected again, you go to bed mad, right? <laughs> So I don't know what your day looks like, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's more than likely similar to what happened before. And so here's what I'm learning, and that is much of what you normally do isn't a result of conscious choices, but it's simply a result of daily habits. Much of what you and I normally do isn't a result of the decisions that we're consciously making, but it's simply a result of our daily habits. In fact, Duke University did a study and they said that 40%, everybody, 40% of all our actions every day, they're not a result of our decisions. They're a result of our habits. So habits are important, they matter. And that's why if you and I want to change where we're going, if you and I want to change who we're becoming, guess what we got to do? We got to change some habits. Everybody say habits. Habits. One of the books that Pastor Craig recommends, in fact, our family bought it and Linda read through it like this, you know, and it's amazing. One sitting, she's done with it in an hour. It's a little thicker book for slower readers like myself. It might take you a month to get through, okay? So, uh, but it's a book I highly recommend. It's called Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. It's written by James clear. It's an incredible book. And the premise of the book is this, is that all of us in this life, we all have similar goals, but we all have dramatically different results. Think about it. You and I, like we all want to be close to God. I hope in this room or joining us online, we want to be close to God. A lot of us want to be healthy. A lot of us want to have healthy relationships. Many of us want to make a difference with our life. In fact, many of us want to be debt free. Now, I have never met one individual in my entire life that said they didn't want to be debt-free and they wanted to be enslaved to, you know, credit cards the rest of their life. No, not one But We all have similar goals, but we all have dramatically different results. So here's the question. is why? Why? You ready for it? Because goals don't determine our success. Our systems determine our success. Let me say it this way. Our goals don't determine our success, but our habits, our daily disciplines... The system in which we've instilled determines our success. In other words, it's one thing to have a goal or a New Year's resolution, but it's a whole other thing to put a system in place that helps propel you towards that goal. Can I get an amen, somebody? This is good preaching. Listen, I love what James Clear says in his book. He says this, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. 
You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your system. So today, this is a systems message. Today, I want to teach you about creating a habit or creating systems in your life. But I'm going to come at it from a spiritual perspective. Now, you can apply this in any area of your life, but we're going to talk about it primarily from a spiritual perspective. Now, there was a guy in the Bible who I believe had one habit. He had one characteristic in his life that helped shape him into becoming the man that God wanted him to be. Now, his name was Daniel. Now, if you grew up in church or maybe in Sunday school, wherever they continue to do that, I don't know. I grew up kind of Baptist, right? So we always had Sunday school. Many of you would probably remember Daniel and the lion's den, right? Daniel and lion's den. And as impressive as it is that Daniel had the faith to stand down lions, what I think is also just as impressive is that out of 120 top young leaders across the entire nation, Daniel, this little Hebrew boy who was exiled as a slave into a pagan nation, stood out. He stood out. And the Bible teaches us he stood out, two words, by his exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. Let's read it, Daniel 6, verse 3. Now, Daniel, he so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. This is like governors and mayors, right? He so distinguished himself, how? By his exceptional qualities that the king over the entire nation planned to set this little Hebrew slave boy over the whole kingdom. So here's my question is why did Daniel stand out? Why did he stand out? Well, maybe, maybe it was because of his spirit of leadership or his spirit of excellence or maybe his gift of administration. Now, here's the thing. The Bible isn't clear to what his exceptional qualities were, but we do know and we do see something a couple of verses down, which we'll read in a moment, that stands out. Now, before I tell you what we see, which is a system, which is a habit that I believe propelled Daniel forward in his life, I want to simply tell you what happened. So Daniel became really popular with the king, so much so that he developed some people that didn't like him. And these people that didn't like him, well, they had a plan. They wanted to remove him. And by the way, time out, if you're a leader of any kind, there are going to be people along the way that aren't going to like you. Anytime you rise to success or do anything for God or do anything with your life out there, there's always going to be critics who don't like you and they're always going to try to remove you at some point. And so Daniel had enemies and they looked for weaknesses. They looked for flaws in Daniel. They looked for skeletons in his closet. Then guess what? They couldn't find one. They couldn't find one. Look at this, Daniel 6.4. It says, at this, the administrators and the satraps, they try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Goes on to say, they could find no corruption in him. Why? Because he was trustworthy and he was neither corrupt nor negligent. That's always a hard word for me to say. So why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Well, because in the words of the great philosopher, Nick Jonas, they were jealous. Come on, Nick, you ain't got nothing on me, bro. Like all the younger people in the room are going to know what I'm saying. All right. All you older people are like, Nick Jonas, jealous. What does that mean? Anyway, they were jealous of the brother. They didn't like him. This boy was a little Hebrew slave. He didn't even belong in their nation, yet alone be like second in command next to the king. They wanted to remove him, but they couldn't find any flaw in the brother. 
They looked for skeletons in his closet. They could not find anything. And so the, they determined that the only way they could trip Daniel up was that it had to involve something along the lines with his God. So they thought to themselves, what can we do? Ah, oh, we got this brilliant idea. Hey, king, all these little advisors went to the king and they said, hey, king, you're such a great king. You're so awesome, king. You know, in fact, what we think would be a great idea, king, is that you would issue a decree. And in this decree, we think that you should say that no one who pray or that if anyone prays to another God or to anybody else except for you for the next 30 days, if they're called praying to anyone else but you, king, we think that they should be thrown in the lion's den. So, Daniel stood out. He stood out amongst 120 of the top young leaders across this pagan nation. He stood out. He rose to the top. So why did he stand out? Well, I'm going to argue with you today that there is a system that I see in the next couple of verses of Scripture that are one habit that over time that we see in Daniel's life, I believe, shaped him into the identity, shaped him into becoming the man of God that God always intended him to be. So we see a glimpse of the system now. Look at this, verse 10. Now, when Daniel, he learned that this crazy decree was issued that has been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And notice the next verse, three times a day, three times a day. What did he do? He got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. And then notice this, please don't miss this. This is the key. Just as he had done before, just as he had done before. Notice not once, not twice, three times Every day, just as he had done before, not when it was easy, not when it was convenient, not when he would rather watch, you know, a a show on Amazon Prime. No, every single day, Daniel had a system. He stopped and he prayed. He talked to God. He brought his requests before the Lord. He honored God. He thanked God. And you ready for this? He also listened. He listened three times a day. Every day, Daniel had a habit of prioritizing his life in fellowship with God. He prioritized his life around intimacy with God. He created a habit. He created a system that allowed him to become the man that God always intended him to be. It was one small discipline over time that created tremendous big results in his life. And it's my hope today that we all see in this truth is that we all would never underestimate how our God can start something big, something special, something powerful through what? Through one single small act of obedience and faithfulness, through one small habit. I need you to understand something about your God. He loves to take one single small act of obedience and faithfulness and do something special through it. This is what he loves to do. In fact, uh, years ago, I had just determined in my life that I wanted to be close to God. So I've been serving the Lord 28 years. And out of those 28 years, I was not always a pastor. Okay, But for 28 years, I just decided that I love God because of what he did for me through his son, Jesus. And I, because he gave me his best, I was going to give him my best. 
And so a part of that, I created some disciplines in my life and I began to align my life with some godly habits. And this is what I've noticed, everybody, is when it comes to getting close to God, you're just not all of a sudden walking along, just whoop, just kind of trip into a relationship with God. It just doesn't happen that way. Like it's not one all of a sudden, one day I'm just walking along and I'm tripping into being a man who is faithful to his wife or being a man who is, you know, highly favored or understands God's scripture, his character, his nature, his goodness, his love. And all of a sudden I'm just walking into this moment of being full with power and faith and strength from God. No, it doesn't happen that way. It does not happen by accident. It happens on purpose. It starts with small disciplines, small disciplines done over time, over time. And as time adds up, it increases incredible value in your life and it can, uh, the result are big results. And so one of the disciplines that I just decided that I was going to buy into is that I came from a, a family who was always in debt. I came from a family who, you know, who they were amazing and my dad did the best that he could and to provide and I had a great life, but there was always this stress of credit cards and payments and just lack. And I came to realize that God teaches some very wonderful principles throughout his word that lead us to a place of abundance, not in what we want, but in our necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter. And one of the small disciplines I started when I was 16 years old, everybody, was the discipline of tithing. It's the discipline of tithing. What does tithe mean? It just simply means 10%. Okay, it means 10%. So what did I decide to do? I simply decided that I want to honor God first with my resources. And the biblical model is just 10%. Now, don't get caught up on percentages in this room because, you know, tithing is no longer a law. It's not a have to, it's a get to, okay? In scripture, there's so many principles that apply to us today through the principle of the tithe. And I have to tell you why I chose to do it. Because I simply want to worship God with my tithe, with my giving, because I want God to know that, God, you can do more with this 10% than I can do with a 90%. And it's simply a constant reminder in my life that you are my source, that you are my provider. My job is not my source. This church is not my source. You are my source. You are my provider. You, have, you are, you will, and you will always be. It's worship worship. See, a lot of people don't understand this, uh, the biblical model of tithe and even really what it stands for. And I'm just going to share this with you. Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing. Here's why we do it. This is why Rhett does it is to teach me to put God first in my life. It's to teach me to put God. First. This is why we do it. It's simply one small discipline that over time can lead to some big results in your life, your family, your marriage, and your finances. In fact, look at what God says in Malachi 3:10. Okay, <laughs> these are God's words, God's promise, and this principle still applies from Old Testament to New Testament to today. And he says, I want you to bring the whole tithe. Notice he didn't just say the partial. I want you to bring the whole tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Well, that's meant to be the church, the distribution center. I want you to bring your tithe to the storehouse, to the church, that there may be what? Food in my house. Now, in that day, it was all about agriculture, right? In this day, we're, I mean, we're in Idaho, right? But nobody's bringing potatoes up in this church, okay? So that's fine. We'll accept it and we'll give it away, all right? But the whole purpose of this is that there would be resources so that the church could help people who are in need. This is the purpose of it. In fact, God goes on to say, and I love this, the only place in scripture you'll ever find this, he says, test me. Everybody say, test me. God wants you to test him in this. Only place in scripture you have the biblical authority and right to test God. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I just need you to understand something. It's not saying you're going to be rich and blessed and live on a mansion on the side of the hill in the Boise Basin area. You know, like, that's not what it's saying. Now, that may be what happens, and God bless you if that's what, what your lot in life is. But that's not what it's saying. It's simply saying you're going to have more than what you need. Food, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothing, and shelter. The necessities of life. And in fact, he wants you to have more food, clothing, and shelter than you need so that you can share food, clothing, and shelters with others in need. This is the biblical perspective. And so some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Red, I mean, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say this. Let me clarify. I've been serving the Lord for 28 years. And for 28 years, I've not always been a pastor. In fact, about 20 years of that, I was a dream tamer. I was just taking my time, my talent, my abilities, my gifts, and I was just offering before the Lord as an offering, living a living sacrifice before God, like I talked about last week. 16 years old, I started tithing. Now, granted, I was probably making $100 a week at that point, you know, from washing dishes at the Steak and Ale. That's an old school restaurant, okay? And, and so I did, and I began to tithe. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, it's easier when you don't really have all these responsibilities and weight on your life to tithe. I mean, that, that's easy, right? Anybody could do it if I had a re, redo over, you know, at 16. Well, can I just be honest with you? I, like, went through some hard times in my life. I, I've had ups and downs. I've had a lot. I've had less. And uh, in fact, many of you know in this room, I went through a horrible uh, divorce in my early 20s, left me almost basically financially bankrupt. Uh, I was over $200,000 in debt. Did y'all hear that? I was over $200,000 in debt. And so my life hasn't been always apples, roses, butterflies, and unicorns, okay? Like, I was $200,000 in debt. And guess what? I continued to do. I continued to honor God with my first. I continued to tithe. I said, God, you can do more with this little measly 10%. And by the way, I was making $10 an hour at that time because I had lost my job and I found a customer service uh, center, distribution center for Haverty's Furniture. I don't think there's Haverty's here, but it'd be like working for uh, R.C. Willie and just taking phone calls left and right. $10 an hour. Had a $1,500 a month mortgage. I had bills. I had credit cards. I had all that. And guess what? I never missed a tithe. And guess what else? I never missed a meal. I never miss clothing. Now, I might have had to eat hot dogs with white bread and a little slice of like Kraft cheese and ketchup, like beans, rice, rice, and beans for a lot, but I always had what I needed. But I was just like, God, I'm not going to stop trusting you. You're going to see me through this. And guess what? I never missed a tithe and I never had to file for bankruptcy. Now, it took me 17 years to get out of that debt. But guess what? <laughs> I never missed a tithe because I was like, God, you know what? I'm never going to stop honoring you because I have got to trust in you, not my resources. And can I just tell you, if you do the math, like there was no reason I should have ever been able to get out of that hole. No reason. But God, how? I believe it's a series of events, but I believe financially it's because I had just made up in my mind that I was going to be a man of God who simply decided that I'm going to honor the Lord with my tithe. I'm going to test him in this. And I'm telling you, standing on this stage, I'm living proof. Now, my life is not perfect, but I'm living proof of what God can do and will continue to do through your life. You may not always have what you want, but you'll always have what you need. 
You might not always have the abundance, but you'll always have exactly what you need in the moment. This is our God. He's faithful to do this. One small discipline over time can equal big results. I'm just saying, so wherever you are, don't get caught up on the percentage. Just get caught up in the heart. Start somewhere and honor God and be a cheerful giver like we talked about last week. Second discipline that I began to apply in my life at 16 was that, man, I was just going to go to church. Like anytime the door was open, I was going to be there. Why? Because it's not what I do. It's who I am. In fact, this has just been a part of my life ever since I was 16. And before I was a pastor sitting on this platform, there had never been a time that I was thinking, huh, I wonder what I'm going to do this weekend. No, in fact, married, going on 17 years, got a 14-year-old son. You know, one thing I've never heard my son say is, Dad, what, what are we going to do this weekend? Are we going to church? No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because it's a habit in our life. It is who we are, and it is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. It is why it helps create accountability with God and it helps create accountability with others. And my friend, I need it. And guess what? So do you. So do you. And in fact, I, I learned this beautiful promise, Psalm 92, 13. I wanted this for my life. Now, you may not want it for your life. That's okay. But I did. And this is why I decided to go to church. Those who are planted, those who are planted, notice those who don't just go occasionally, those just don't who go, yeah, I decide, you know what? No, no. Those who are planted, those who just don't come, but those who serve, those who get involved, take their time, their talent, their resources, their ability, and leverage that for the kingdom of God, those who are planted in God's house, they shall flourish. I'm like, God, I want to flourish, man. I want to thrive. Like, so if I, if, if I want to walk in your blessing and flourishment and thriving in my life, it doesn't mean that my life's all going to be full of just good times, but it just means you're going to be with me and be faithful to me. And God, I just want to honor what you love and you love your bride, which is the church. And it's not a building, it's a people. And God, I want to be a part of that people. And so at the end of my life, I just want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Like that is my end goal. That's my end design. And I'm going to line my life up with everything scripture teaches us so I can walk in your promise promise and your blessing in my life. So I'm just going to church because I am the church. It's non-negotiable. It's not an option. It's just one small discipline in my life that over time has led to big results. Years ago, I also learned that reading God's word is probably important for somebody who professes to be a Christian. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, hey, I should probably read God's word like every day. And so for the fact that I'm even mentioning that I should do that tells you, and I hope this makes you feel better, that there was a time I didn't read God's word every day. But I read God's word every day. Why? Because I came to realize 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, it helps me become who God wants me to be is what it does. In fact, it goes on, it corrects me when I'm, well, that's hard to say, right? It corrects us when we're wrong. And by the way, I'm wrong a lot as a husband and a father sometimes. Please don't get it misunderstood. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean my life's perfect. Just ask my wife. She'll be glad to tell you all the places and the times I'm wrong, okay? And God's word teaches us to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare us and equip his people. Why do I read God's word every day? Because it equips me to do what? To live my life for Christ, to do every good work. One small discipline over time can lead to big results. Five years ago, I decided to do also something else. I decided to start declaring God's word over my life out loud. Why? Because I was battling with insecurities, anxiety, fear, and depression. Can you do that? Yeah, go back and listen to the message I preached a few months ago about depression. 
And so I needed something to help me. And I don't know if you're in the room today, but if you need something to help you kind of win the battle of your mind, one of the best things you can do is create a discipline of declarations of God's word in your life. We just need to be reminded who we are in Christ. I've realized Proverbs 18, 21, this truth, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or they're either fruit. You choose. I'm like, well, God, if I got the choice, I'm going to choose life. So I'm going to choose to speak God's word out loud over my life. And I've done this for five years straight every day. I started it five years ago. I did it this morning. Here's some excerpts. I have the mind of Christ. Reminding myself, I have the mind of Christ. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. No, I'm gifted to lead, change my circumstances from what they are to what they could be. I say, I wake up with purpose. I wake up with direction every meaning, with every day of my life with meaning. I am faith-filled, life-speaking, fully devoted follower of Jesus. I am a masterpiece. I am content in Jesus Christ alone. I am a child of God. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Back off my life and my mind, devil, in Jesus' name. Declaring declarations over my life, over your life. One small discipline that over time can equal big results. So I started with God's word. I started reading it out loud. Started reading it out loud. Why? Why is that important? Hebrews 4.12. God's word is alive. Everybody say alive. It's not just a good book. It's not just a good book. It's not just print on a page. It is his word, his very breath. It is alive and it's working. It's powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Look at the rest of the verse. It cuts. Like sometimes it hurts, but it's a good kind of hurt. It's like I'm battling with something, something's in my body. I go to the emergency room, the doctors cut it out so my life can live. It cuts all the way into us where the soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, where I'm confused, and the spirit, that's the part of me that's saved. Remember, we're a triune being, body, spirit, and soul. It cuts to the center of our joints and bones. It judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. Why do I read God's word out loud? Because it sets me free in my mind. How? Because it helps me remember who I am in Christ. So what, what am I doing? I'm simply trying to share with you today just some simple, small disciplines, simple acts of obedience that if you'll do day after day, week after week, month after month, consistently, like these are the things that have helped build my faith, helped me become the man that I am today so that I could hopefully love my wife better, love my son better, serve my family, help our marriage, that empower me and help equip me as a spiritual leader today to simply come alongside you as a family and help you as well. And so I don't want to get, I don't want you to make any mistake. Like I have tried some disciplines in my life and I have failed miserably at some in my life. Journaling, I've tried it every year. I fail every year. It's just not my thing. I'm trying again this year. Uh, one big one is working out. Like last year, man, I was doing good, baby. I, like I started like after fasting in February, uh, and I started working out, and I started with like two days a week, and then uh, at those two days, I said, I just want to do 20 minutes on the treadmill, and I will walk the slowest rhythm on 20 minutes, right? And I did. And next thing I know, a month goes by, two months go by. Now I'm spending not 20 minutes in the gym twice a week. I'm spending about 30, 45 an hour. Next thing I know, I'm an hour and a half in the gym every single morning. And I do it for six months, baby. I'm do, I am like cooking with gas, baby. It's great. And then July came and I went on vacation. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'll do it when I get back. You know, actually, I thought, well, I'm doing so good. I'll do it when I wake up at the hotel every morning. Nope, don't think so. Didn't happen. Get back from vacation. I'll start it next week. Nope, start it the next week. Nope. You know, here we are six months later. Haven't been back in the gym. 
And so all I want to tell you is that some disciplines you're going to start when you fail, it's okay. Just get back up again and try again. And so I'm going to try again. I'm starting in February, second week of February. Actually, it's already on the calendar. Me and my son, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to start with just 20 minutes, twice a week. <laughs> and hopefully this time it will stick. So anyway, what set Daniel apart? What set him apart? Well, I believe it's something that uh, James Clear and a lot of other authors talk about with habits. It's called a keystone habit. Everybody say keystone. 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 What's a keystone habit? Well, the way I like to describe it is that a keystone habit is simply a habit that propels all the other habits. It's like if you saw the beginning of the message, right? You saw the dominoes. There was one domino and it stacked and it just kind of stacked all the other dominoes till eventually it just knocked over this massive door, Right. Keystone habit is the first domino in the row of dominoes. That's what it is. And so what was Daniel's keystone habit? He stopped, he prayed three times a day to what? So that he could just build his relationship with God, his fellowship with God. Just, and the key is, as he had done before. Like this was a habit. So my question is, and this is where it's practical today, is like how do we start a keystone habit in our life? I think that's an, a great question to ask. How do we start a keystone habit? In other words, how do we create one small discipline in our life that over time could eventually equal some big results? And you ready for this? I actually kind of shared this in week one, but instead of, here's the key, instead of focusing on what you're doing, right, on do, then we need to focus more on who? Right? So it's not necessarily about what I do, but the focus for a keystone habit should be, who do I want to become? Who do you want to become? This is a key question. So do you want to be a godly parent? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to make a difference with your life? Do you want to be debt-free? Do you want to be clean and sober? Like, who do you want to become? Well, it all starts with a question I'm going to put on the screen, and that is, based on who you and I want to become, what's one habit that we need to start? Notice I didn't say 10 habits. No, no, no. What's one habit that you and I need to start? What's one small discipline that you think would help you move from where you are to where you want to become that person? And by the way, it's better if it's not big. It needs to be small. And so for some of you, it might be, you know what? I hit the snooze button like 10 times every day before I wake up. And maybe just your one small step is, you know what? I'm not going to hit the snooze button anymore. I'm praying for you. I know I see somebody going, oh man, that's just so difficult. I don't know if I can do that, <laughs> right? Some of you, the simple step is, <laughs> you know, maybe you just need to read your Bible and maybe just the one verse on your version app. By the way, there's an app. It's called the Bible app. It's amazing. You open it up and guess what's the first thing you see on the screen? One verse of scripture. And maybe before going to social media, you know, or email or text, maybe, maybe you just, maybe you're one small discipline Every day is just reading one verse of scripture. So who do you want to become? Do you want to become caring? Do you want to be an encourager? Then maybe just write one note a day. Send one text a day to encourage somebody. You want to be more organized? Like, man, I got to get my life together. I got to create a budget. Well, I get you, and I think that's important, but why not maybe just start with making your bed? Like, Organization, like we're talking keystone habits, one habit that helps propel other ones that make you feel like, man, I just accomplished something. I made my bed today. <laughs> uh, one of these keystone habits I'm trying to apply in my life this year is flossing, by the way, and not this kind of floss, you know, right? I'm talking like this kind of floss, because number one, I hate flossing, <laughs> and I've had like 12 cavities, and like I just had four filled like in the past six months. I'm like, at some point, I need to learn a lesson and listen to them and floss. 
I hate flossing. And so what fl- I've done it for a week straight now. And so what it tells me is this something I hate, but if I'm doing it, it's saying, hey, I'm disciplined. I'm a disciplined person. It's something small, but over time, I believe it's going to reap a healthy habit for me. Do you want to be a godly parent? Well, instead of trying to read the entire Bible with your kids, why not just download the free YouVersion Bible app for kids and watch the cartoon Bible with your kids? It's like five minutes, and it does all the talking for you. It's super, it's a lot of fun. And so maybe you want to be healthier. Well, instead of thinking about, man, I got to go work two hours in the gym, five times a week. Why not just start with once a week, 15 minutes, walk around your neighborhood or walk to the mailbox and come back in, you know, whatever it might be. Start small. What one habit, what one system can you create to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be? Some of you are going, well, Pastor Rhett, I don't do systems. I'm a free spirit. This whole idea of habit and systems. Well, here's the truth about that statement. Every single one of us have systems, whether it's by intent or whether it's by default, you and I have systems. Now, maybe your system is you wake up, you hit the snooze button five times, you're running late, so you kick the cat, you yell at the kids on the way, right? You get in your car, you drive like a bat out of you know where, right? While your hair's still wet, you're doing your makeup while your bowl of cereal's on your knee, all the way to work. You get to work, you, you go to work, you come home, you yell at the kids again, they go to bed, and then you simply feel guilty because of what you did that day. Now, that's a system, everybody. Might not be a good system. In fact, it's not a good system. But it's a system. So what's the one habit? What's the one small thing that you can create in your life to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be? Now, I think this is important that we see this. I love this when I begin to see this. Any book you read on habits is going to talk about something called the habit loop. Everybody say the habit loop. And always going to start with a cue. Or or some habit loops, if you read any books, you're probably going to say trigger, right? It's where you see something. Maybe you're bored, Uh, maybe you're hungry, or maybe you're hangry. Come on, that's a real thing, right? Maybe your cue is when you walk by a refrigerator. Maybe your cue is when you drive by McDonald's. Maybe your cue is when you're lonely. Maybe it's at the beginning of your day. Maybe it's at the end of your day. But every single one of you, including myself, we all have a cue. We all have a trigger. And this is what happens. Our trigger, our cue, always leads us to, you ready for it? Our routine. It's our routine. It's our response or it's our action. In other words, this is how it works. Our cue is we walk by the refrigerator. Our routine or our response would be, I'm going to eat that piece of cake in the refrigerator. Come on. Our cue is when we drive by McDonald's. Our routine is getting that double cheeseburger combo meal, right? Our cue is it's Friday after work. It's five o'clock somewhere. And you know what I'm saying? And like, that's our cue. And I'm driving by. I'm tired. I'm worn out. So my response is I'm going to go to the liquor store. My cue is that I'm lonely, bored. No one else is at home. I don't know what else to do. So my response will be I'll look at pornography on the internet. My cue is that somebody cut me off in traffic. So my response is I'm going to yell and scream and act like a fool on the interstate. So our cue will always lead to a routine, which always leads to a reward, a reward or a dopamine hit. It's the like or comment on social media that's like, woo, I got to check social media, right? I got to, because I want that, woo, it feels good. Somebody liked my post. It's the sugar rush. It's the pleasure. It's the extra 10 minutes of sleep. And then you just simply repeat steps one, two, and three, one, two, and three. And then you're in this habit loop. You've created some bad habits. This is how habits are formed. So how do we start new ones? How do we start 
a new habit loop that is healthy and that honors God. Two things really simple. You ready for it? Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Make the cue obvious. Make the cue obvious. In other words, if your person's like, you know what? I want to take vitamins every day. Well, guess what? Pull those vitamins out of the drawer, set them on your nightstand, or set them on the counter by the refrigerator so where you can see them. Okay? Make it obvious. And when you make it obvious, put something where you can see it. I want to be a person who reads the Bible, maybe before I go to bed. Take God's word after you've made your bed, take the Bible and put it on your pillow. And so when you come home and but when you get in bed, there is a Bible on your pillow and it says, hey, here's my cue. This is who I want to become. You're making it obvious. You want to encourage somebody by writing a note. Well, go ahead and put a note with a pen on top of it on your desk. So when you come in the next day, you see it and it's obvious. And all of a sudden now that Q says, oh, this helps me become the person I want to become. I want to become an encourager. So I've got my notes right here. So we want to make the Q obvious. Number two, very simple and practical today. Make your routine easy. Make the routine easy. Make it easy. Make it easy. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to read the entire Bible. No, just read one verse. Just decide on my U version app, I hit open, I read one verse. And my friends, if you will be faithful and just read one verse, here's what might just happen. All of a sudden, a month, two months from now, you might just decide to hit the verse, open it up, and see that, oh, there's other verses around it. Maybe now you're reading two or three verses. And then maybe six months from now, you're reading a chapter. Maybe a year from now, you're like, you know what? I think I'll read the whole book. And then maybe two years from now, you're thinking, I'll read the New Testament, and then next year, the Old Testament, and so forth. You see what I'm saying? One small discipline. We want to start small, make it easy. And if you'll start small, we're going to let it grow over time. Some of you are like, you know what? I would just love to pray with my spouse. I mean, we have sex, but we don't know how to pray. I don't know why I said that out loud, y'all. Forgive me. But I'm just saying, it's like, we know how to do that, but we don't know how to be intimate in prayer with each other. This is where it starts. Go grab your spouse, grab her hand, and just thank God for one thing. God, I thank you for the heat in this house keeping me from the cold, right? One thing, that's it. Amen. Want to work out? Do 10 push-ups. Can't do 10? Do five. Can't do five? Do one. Can't do one? Then get down on your knees. Can't do that? Lay on the ground. And then get back up. Once a day. That's it. What are we doing? We're creating systems. We're creating a habit. And this is what it looks like if you write it out. And that is, after I blank, I will blank. After I blank, I will blank. Daniel probably said, after I eat, I will pray. My system right now is once my eyes wake up, I say, God, I love you. Thank you for this day. And after I thank him for this day, I will grab my phone. And the first app that's open on my phone is the Bible. I don't see any other apps. It's just my Bible. And I'm reading verse in the scripture in the chronological Bible plan right now, which is my plan. And after I do that, I take a shower. You're welcome, babe, right? After I take a shower, I go make some eggs and sausage. Because you just, a man can't live without eggs and sausage. I'm just, that's me, right? And then I start my day. What am I doing, my friends? I'm creating habits that empower me to do what God called me to be. Why? Because people who live their best life, they do consistently what other people only do occasionally. This is all we're trying to do. So people who want to be close to God, they didn't get there by accident. No, they didn't stumble into it. They created habits that draw them close to God. People who are financially strong didn't get there by accident. 
No, people who are financially strong don't buy what they see, buy what they want when they want. No, people who are financially strong, what do they do? They simply create a budget and they just don't spend as more than they make. That's it. People who are healthy, they're not healthy because they ate the China buffet, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. I'm sorry. No offense to my Chinese buffet. I love it. But people who are healthy, they don't get there by accident. They get there on purpose through what? Through systems, habits, small disciplines that over time add up to big results in their life. All of us have similar goals. Many of us in this room, we want to be close to God. We want to, you know, like we all have similar goals, but we all have different results. The goals, my friend, are not the problem. The problem are the systems around that goal. The problem are the habits so what set Daniel apart? It was a system that he developed to stay close to God. Three, three times a day, I'm going to pray. Now, here's the revelation that I want to close with today that I'm learning about myself. You ready? Repu- uh, confession's good for your soul. It's absolutely bad for your reputation, but I don't care about my reputation. I want to help somebody. This is setting me free. I'm realizing that I'm never satisfied. I'm always wanting. I'm always wanting something more, something different, just like never satisfied. And what I've realized is I've had the wrong goals in my life. The majority of the goals in my life, maybe you can relate, they've been mean goals. Not like mean as like ah, aggressive, no, but like means, means goals. In other words, they're goals that always lead me to something else. So like, how do you know you have a means goal? In other words, if on the other side of your goal, there's a so, you know you have a means goal. So it goes like this. I want to get good grades. So I can go to a good school. So I can get a good job. So I can make a lot of money. So I can get married. So I can have a house. So I can have a car. And so on and so on. The problem with soul goals or mean goals is that happiness, fulfillment, contentment, and joy are always in the future. They're never in the moment. They're always somewhere on the other side of another goal. They're always deferred to the future. They're always out there. So I've realized, instead of having a means goal, guess what kind of goal I'm going to have this year? It's an end goal. An end goal. In other words, it's not about what I'm getting. It's not about where I'm going. It's not about what's next but it's simply about who I'm becoming. Who I'm becoming. My friends, the only end goal that matters is a relationship with God. The only, only end goal that matters is walking close with God. It's becoming more like Christ and I want to become more like Christ. I want to become more like him in my family, in in every area of my life. I want to become more like Christ. And if that's the driving force of your life, my friends, then success, success isn't out there. It's not just out in the distance. No, if becoming more like Christ, if that's your end goal, then it's not what's out there. That's not success. Success is what's in here. It's what's in here. So my success... It's becoming who God wants me to become, not tomorrow, no, today. So my hope is that you would ask yourself today, 
What is the one small act of obedience? What is the one small step of faithfulness that I could take today to honor God today? Because my success isn't in a moment that lives in the future. My success is in the moment that is here and now today. And God's word teaches us, hey guys, if you'll be faithful in the small things, God can trust you with the big things. Will you bow your head and close your eyes all across this room? God, I thank you for your presence today. I thank you for such really a practical message, God, that we honestly need. We need to learn how to create new habits in our life that help us become all that you've always wanted and intended for us to be as men and women of God and men and women of faith. And God, our heart is simply to be close to you. So God, I'm asking by your spirit that you would reveal in each and every one of us today, maybe areas in our life, just one small discipline, one small thing, one small thing. Just reveal that to us. We're listening with attentive ears today to hear that. And God, we just want to begin to apply that in our life. By faith, we're asking by the help of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to begin to walk that out, that we would be just that the cue would be obvious. We had put it right there in front of us. And God, that the response would simply be something very easy that we can do and sustain in the moment that we know that over time, we'll just, God, over time, it will equal big results in our life, our marriage, our home, and our finances, and just everything that we get to be a part of this side of heaven. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives today. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I recognize that some of you are in this room today and you may not have a relationship with God. And I want to give you that opportunity. God is a loving Father. He created you in his image. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much, he wants to spend time with you. Um, but if you're in this room, maybe you're like, well, I've always wanted to, but I feel like God is distant. Well, the reason God feels distant is because of one word. It's called sin. Sin basically separates us from a relationship with God. And guess what God did? <laughs> he created a plan and a process, a system <laughs> for you and I to get rid of sin in our life so that we could come into a relationship and experience all that he has for you. In that plan, that process was one person. That was his son. His name was Jesus. Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to die a horrific death, to shed his blood, to make a payment for the sin that separated you and I from God. In Jesus, he came, he died, but he rose again. And because he rose again, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he made a way for you and I to have fellowship with God. It's through Jesus. It's not through doing things. It's not through going to church and all these wonderful things. No, it's simply receiving by faith, by believing and professing. Romans 10, 9 says, if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died, he's God's son, and he rose again, then you will be saved. In other words, your sin will be forgiven and you'll come into a relationship with God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody. And if you're in this room and you feel like you don't have a relationship with God, it'd be my honor to lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. I'm I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But if you're here in this moment or online, would you let us know? If you're in the room, would you raise your hand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me know. Pastor Rhett, you're talking to me. I want to surrender my life to God. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to come into a relationship with God. Anybody in this room, God bless you. You can put your hands down. Whether you raise your hand or not, can I encourage you wherever you are to maybe say a simple prayer like this? Now, we're a family. Families pray together. Okay, so we're all going to pray this out loud. Say something like this. Just mean it with all your heart. God, thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died and he rose again to pay for my sin, to provide a relationship with you. God, 
Forgive me, cleanse me, renew my mind, make me more like you. Today, I put my faith and my trust in you. I give you my life. I give you everything because you gave me your life. You gave me your everything. I am yours. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Can we celebrate today with those who made a decision to follow Jesus? Greatest decision of your life, everybody.